the story of Christmas, the only story that forever changed the world, today and tomorrow. The timeless words are woven throughout all of our seasonal greetings and celebrations. We hear the story in children's pageants and families discussing Christmas memories. We listen to the story as it's shared through beloved carols that we hear on our car radios throughout all of our shopping centers and malls. And we read the story in cards and letters and on social media. But most of all, we live the Christmas story through changed lives that come from knowing the Savior whose birth we celebrate. The story of Christmas can really be summed up in one word, Jesus. The story of Christmas is the story of Jesus.
placed upon him for the greatness of his love. Willingly he bears our sorrows, Calvary's lamb will bleed and die for the desperate lost without him. This is Jesus It was almost 4,000 years ago that the Christmas story was first shared with a waiting world. From the pens of ancient prophet, prophets, a message from God was delivered to his people. Isaiah wrote, your God will come. He will wipe all tears from your faces. Your God will come to save you. He continued and said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. For a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Isaiah declared, Arise, shine, for your light has come.
He has come for us. This was more than a story. It was a covenant that stretched across the ages between God and his people. It was an eternal promise, first sung by the prophets, repeated by countless generations of God's faithful, then finally whispered in the heart of a young girl. An angel was sent to the small village called Nazareth with words of comfort and expectation. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and give him the name Jesus. Mary replied, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is truly the story of God's amazing love. Oh, praise the Lord for what he has done, for what he is about to do. Noel, Noel, all is well. Thank you. 
so the story of Christmas had truly begun. The message that had been penned by prophets was now inscribed on the heart of a young peasant girl. The promise that would become the song of the nations was to be played out in the smallest of villages. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Bethlehem, a forgotten town tucked among the Judean hills, was now poised to become the center of God's unfolding drama. Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem had been ordered by an earthly census, but it was part of a heavenly plan. And so the couple set out on the arduous journey that lay before them. They only had the light of the desert stars to guide them and their faith, but that would be enough. It led them to a sleeping village, a simple stable, a manger of warm straw, and the newborn Son of God.
Emmanuel is born. The voice that commanded creation had become a baby's cry. The God whose arms had embraced the firmament was now asleep in a virgin's arms. Messiah has come, and in that tiny hand which grasped his mother's fingers so tightly lay the hope for all the world. God is with us. Oh, but the story is far from over. On a Bethlehem hill, startled shepherds were surprised by an explosion of angelic joy. Glory to God, they sang. Glory to God in the highest. The shepherds remembered what the angels had told them. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Then they ran to the very place which the angels had told them about. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And when they found the infant king, they bowed before his manger throne. Please sing with us. Away in Many thousands of years have passed, and millions of voices have shared the famous words concerning the birth of our Savior. But the story remains unchanged. It is as vibrant and alive as it was that night long ago in Bethlehem. And it is still changing lives, just as it did when the shepherds first gathered around that simple manger. So let us join them there. Let us bring our gifts of love and praise and let us worship the Son of God and become part of the story because now the Christmas story is your story. Let's pray together, may we? 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story of Christmas because it is ultimately the story of our salvation. Thank you for sending the prophets with the announcement of your son's birth, but also his death and resurrection. Thank you for the simple wood of his manger and his cross. Thank you for the crown of glory and his crown of thorns. Thank you for the angel's song that declared, Gloria, he is born, but more, hallelujah, he is risen. And thank you, Heavenly Father, that the Christmas story is now our story. In the name of our Savior, whose birth we celebrate today, amen. Just another babe Oh, but this was heaven's child Royalty Who left his throne behind him So we could be Before the great 
Have you ever been to an arena where folks are just absolutely going crazy? Or have you ever been to a football stadium where the stadium itself is just shaking? There's so much noise. I've been to venues like that. I've even been to Bryant-Denny Stadium. It shakes a lot down there. shakes a lot at Jordan-Hare. I'm not quite sure if it shakes a lot at Progressive Field, but they sure have a lot to be uh, thankful for today, right? Beating BYU yesterday. I know at least two in here that are on board with that. Whenever you go to Lambeau Field and they make the announcement, whether it was Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre, that stadium would just go absolutely crazy. It just shakes. And they announce them, this is Brett Favre, this is Aaron Rodgers, and people are just jumping up and down. And I was thinking as the choir was singing the song where Brian, who is called B, saying, this is Jesus. I thought one day we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. And heaven is going to roar with, this is Jesus. Choir, thank you so much for bringing our attention to Jesus this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we don't know how to say thank you enough, really. And we don't know all the words to say. But we look forward to that day when we will see you face to face in all of your glory. Heaven will not be about us. It will be about you. So maybe we should consider that this life is not about us, but it is about you. Lord, I pray that you would stir us this morning as we stop and consider what the Lord has done. All this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. We used to sing that song and then go and tell the story of the Christ of Calvary. How many of you sang that when you were young? How many of you ever sang that period? We need to learn that song. It goes like this, the first verse. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. When you come to Luke chapter 1 in Mary's Magnificat, there is a transition that takes place. If you don't have your Bibles open yet to Luke chapter 1, I'd like you to do that. They've given me a few minutes to share this morning, and I want to focus in on a couple of things about what Mary says concerning the Lord. In the first part of the Magnificat, she focuses in on what the Lord had done for her. And her focus was not on herself, but her focus was on the Lord. When you come to the second part of the Magnificat, the focus is on Israel and God's faithfulness to his people, whom he has not forgotten, 
It's amazing when you read through the Magnificat as you get to the end of it. Mary is a tremendous theologian. And remember how young she was when she responded to Elizabeth. But her theology was right on. She knew the faithfulness of the Lord as it was given through the Abrahamic covenant. She knew what it meant. The faithfulness of God. So as we consider the last part of the Magnificat, I just want to point out a couple of things to you this morning. Because within the Magnificat, the last several verses, there is a repeated phrase, he has, he has, he has. Which is what? Past tense. He has. When was the last time you considered in your life what he has done? How many times this week did you consider what he has done? Did you even consider him this last week? In this Magnificat, Mary repeats this phrase, he has several times. Notice what it says, Luke chapter 1 verses 51 through 55 He has done mighty deeds with his arm. We're not told what was on her mind, which I find to be interesting. But if you think about the mighty arm of God, he parted the waters. Not only did he part the Red Sea, but he parted the Jordan three times. For Joshua and the Israelites, for Elijah and for Elisha, he parted the sea and he parted the river Because he alone is God. I don't know what was on Mary's mind when she said that. But wouldn't it be interesting to know? I don't know that she doesn't say. Because I think her focus is just on him. I don't think she wants a distraction of necessarily everything else. But I've kind of filled in some blanks in terms of what we know about God. And what he has done. So he's done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. And then she continues that statement. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. I just wonder if she was thinking about the Proverbs and the wisdom that came from Solomon as he wrote about Wealth. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts, excuse me, um, and he sent the rich away empty handed. He has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now, look at this great theology. She understood the promises that God had already made, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. I want us to remind us this morning of two points. That she makes. We don't have time for all of them. But I want to point out too. That the Lord put on my heart. The first one has to do with. His sovereignty. Do you believe the Lord is in control. This morning. You believe he is sovereign. This morning. Mary says he has brought down rulers from their thrones. Can you think of someone in the Old Testament who was brought down 
and made low. The man Nebuchadnezzar. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Remember what he said about his own kingdom? Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? For Nebuchadnezzar, it was all about him. The Bible tells us that there was a prophecy concerning Nebuchadnezzar. We know that it was revealed through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar about what would happen to him if he exalted himself, which he did. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 33 that the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away, look at this, from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. He brought down a man and reduced him to the field, to eating grass like cattle. Man just thinks he's in control. It's the Lord who is in control. And Mary recalls that. He has brought down, she says, the mighty from their thrones. But not only has he brought down the mighty from their thrones, but the Bible says that he has exalted those who were humble. Again, I don't know what Mary was thinking of, but I thought about Joseph. That's where my mind went. You remember Joseph and the story of Joseph? His brothers sold him into slavery. You remember that? And so he's in Egypt. And there is one in Egypt. Not only was he sold by his brothers, but there's one in Egypt who is pursuing him and pursuing him all the time. And you know who that was? Potiphar's wife. The Bible says that he ran from her every day. (laughs) But then she falsely accused him. And so he was thrown into prison. But I'll remind you that while all these things transpired in his life, the Bible tells us, but the Lord was with him. That's a great phrase to remember. All the things that go on in your life, whether good or bad, you can look back and say, but the Lord was with me. That's something to never forget. That God is with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Joseph experienced that. So the Bible tells us that later on, in chapter 41 of Genesis Notice what took place because the Lord was with Joseph. He became second in command only to Pharaoh. It says, Pharaoh says, You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Do you see that? Only next to Pharaoh... Pharaoh was the greatest, but Joseph was right next. Well, who did that? The Lord did that. Only in the throne, Pharaoh says, I will be greater than you. See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. 
I've put you in charge. But how did he get there? Was it a nice skip and jump? No. It was met with a lot of hardship, but the Lord was with him. And again, I don't know what Mary was thinking about, but he's exalted those who were humble. Any of you deal with pride? How many times has it happened to you that pride has just taken over in your life? Where you're exalting yourself. It's happened to me. It happened to you. Well, Mary says here in this Magnificat, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and he exalted, has exalted the lowly. So as she's thinking about the history of Israel and the faithfulness of God, she says that about his sovereignty. But then she not only speaks about his sovereignty, but his goodness. How many of you believe that God is a good God? You believe that? Sure doesn't sound that way. You believe God's a good God? How so? If you would write it down on a sheet of paper, what would you say about your God and His goodness? He is faithful, isn't He? And that's what Mary's recounting, the faithfulness of God to Israel, His chosen people. And I'll tell you today, He has not forgotten Israel. One day He will come as the choir saying, he will come as king of kings and lord of lords and he will rule and he will reign for 1,000 years. Do you know what? As the church, we get to come with him. Amazing to think about. But Mary, as she writes, she says, he has filled the hungry with good things. And sent away the rich, empty-handed. Can you think of a time when the Lord filled the hungry? Well, you think about Israel and when they came across the Red Sea. The Bible says the Lord provided for them, did he not? What did he provide for them? Manna. What, what did they have to do? Nothing. Pick it up. What did they do? Were they thankful people? They grumbled. You know, it's possible that even when we recognize the goodness of God, we grumble. Or we don't even recognize it as goodness. Children of Israel had the Lord's provision. He provided for them on a daily basis. He filled them. Oh, it wasn't the steak from Egypt. But he filled them. Well, we could just thank him for that, right? The provision of the Lord and his goodness to us. I was thinking of a couple of stories I really like in the Old Testament. Again, we don't know what Mary was necessarily focusing in on in terms of specific times when the Lord provided in his goodness. But you remember what happened with Elijah? What does the Bible tell us? First Kings chapter 17, verse 6, the ravens brought him bread. 
and meat in the morning. That must have been something. I've been brought plates of food, never by ravens. When I was rereading that this week, I was like, man, Lord, you provide in ways that just aren't normal. You know, we don't think of it in this way. But God uses his creation. He used the ravens and brought him bread and meat in the morning and meat, bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. You know what, spiritually, guys, the Lord has provided the bread that we need, his book. He's provided the water that we need. I mean, he, he, he's a well that never runs dry. So when a person tells me, you know, Thad, I, I'm just struggling to figure out, you know, how to be fed from the word. Read it. Yeah, but that's not doing much for me. Read it again. Keep reading it. Ask the Lord to minister to you through His Holy Spirit. He'll do it. I was also thinking about, which probably, I mean, all you have to do is continue in the text in 1 Kings, but there's a story of the widow in Zarephath. The Lord provided food for the widow with a bowl of flour that never emptied and a jar of oil that never needed filling. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, this is during a time of famine. This is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 14 and 16. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The first part of this is a prophecy. The bowl of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil become empty until the day that the Lord provides rain on the face of the earth. That was, that's what was said. But then you come to the fulfillment. The bowl of flour was not used up. Nor did the jar of oil become empty in accordance with the word of the Lord. Which he spoke through Elijah. You see that prepositional phrase? In accordance with the word of the Lord. In other words, the Lord said this and that's what happened. So we can take comfort in the fact. That what the Lord says, he does. And so we look at this goodness. We see the provision of the Lord and his goodness to this widow in Zarephath. To Elijah the prophet. To the children of Israel. He's just a good, good God. How many times have you recalled his goodness in your life? We say something at Easter, a phrase, God is good all the time. And what? All the time, God is good. I wonder if we mean that. I wonder if we know that by experience. I wonder if we've considered the goodness of God through the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. Not only the goodness of God in the past, but the goodness of God today. If you're born again today, you've tasted the goodness of God. If you're not born again today, you're empty. You're empty. 
and you need filling up. You need to recognize and understand that Jesus Christ in his love for you went to the cross and he took on the sins of the world. The Bible tells us that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. And he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Every single person in this room will see Jesus Christ. Will stand before him. And you'll stand before him as one who knows him or one who doesn't. Can you imagine just for a moment expressing to him your thankfulness? Thank you, Lord, for saving me. You're a good, good God. I wonder how many times in Mary's life as the mother of Jesus that she recalled his goodness. <laughs> I think sometimes you and I need homework. How many of you like homework? You loved it as a kid. When I was growing up, teachers checked homework. Do they still do that? I don't know if they do that as much as they used to. You know, you used to get in trouble if you didn't do your homework. At least I did. I was always found out, Thad didn't do his homework. No, times I didn't. I'm going to ask you to do some homework. I'm going to ask you today to think about, as you leave this place, that you think about this morning what God has done. You see, we have a testimony from Mary. I'm asking you, to recall, to think about what God has done, to think about the life of Christ and what Christ did, and to think about your life since you met Christ, what Christ has done. I've got a little bit of a suggestion for you. Here it is. He has. First of all, you have to think about what God has done. You know what that requires? Some quiet time. How many of you mothers struggle for quiet time? Then when you do have that quiet time, your husband's right there, right? It requires some time alone. And if we're really serious about this, then I think as a Christian, at some point, we'll do this. It's certainly not an exercise that's going to hurt us. It's going to be an exercise that reminds us. Exercises that hurt us are typically, right, we think about physical exercise. What happens after the first of the year? It's, it's about to come. Well, oh, I'm going on a diet. Yeah, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. By March, we've forgotten, right? We're like, I am now, wait till next year. It's painful to try to exercise when that has not been your habit. It's easy to pull a hamstring. <laughs> Trust me. It happens. There's nothing painful in our exercise about remembering what God has done. So we need to think about what God has done. We need to thank God for what He has done. What He has done, we're thankful and then we need to write down what God has done, which is a huge, huge discipline. You remember the song that I started out with, Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. 
stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. When we sang that song as children, there were stop signs made up for us, right, that said stop. And then another sign that said go. And those were visuals so that you would not forget. And I'm 57 years old, and I remember singing that when I was seven. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Listen to the verse, the rest of that verse. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. He forgave my sin. And he saved my soul. He cleansed my heart and he made me whole. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. You know, the greatest message we can give to our children and our grandchildren and our brothers and our sisters is the message that says, stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. I trust you know him today. I trust that Christmas is just not an exercise in exchanging gifts or time with family. All those things are great and wonderful. I enjoy those things. But the greatest gift of all has already been given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you today, but I'm thankful for that gift. And I'm thankful for the gift of eternal life that is only found in Him. Because as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray together. Lord, I'd be the first to confess in this room that I haven't stopped enough to consider what you've done. There's times when on Sundays, I think all of us are reminded and we're like, I'm going to do better this week. And let's pray we wouldn't make it like a work thing, but that we would just ask your spirit to lead us. Because your word tells us the spirit leads us into all the truth. So as Mary recalled the things that you had done, I pray that for each one of us, we could just set aside some time each day to say, hey, look, this is what God did with the nation of Israel. This is what God has done for his church. Because as we look back and we recall your faithfulness, it only, for us, encourages us as we think about the hope that's yet to come. That one day as your word declares, you're going to come for your church. You're going to receive your church to yourself. And your word tells us we're forever going to be with you. So it helps us as we exercise our minds, as we think about and reflect on what you have done for us. I pray, Lord, you would help us to move away from laziness. And help us, Lord, to move to a course of discipline where we would faithfully recall your sovereignty and your goodness in our own lives as we see you work. Thank you this morning for the time of worship we had as the choir led us in song. 
thank you for your word, which never returns void. And all of these things I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. This morning we were thinking about not closing out with a song, but um, me and Thayer were talking right beforehand. We decided to, uh, we needed to. Um, and I don't know how many times you've heard the song Silent Night in the last several weeks, probably a hundred or so, maybe. But how many times, and we sing, we hear that song so many times, but how many times do we really think about, you know, what it was, it, you know, what it's all about? And it really, it, what the thing I like about that one little phrase is that silent night, holy night, son of God loves pure light. And that's who the son of God is. He he's loves pure light. And that round yon virgin, that virgin brought to us that night many years ago, that Son of God who is love's pure light. So I thought uh, today, just to, uh, to uh, close out, we just all stand and let's uh, let's sing this together. Silent night, holy night. Silent night, Ron, thank you, choir. Really enjoyed today. God was wanting to sing in when y'all were doing that. Jesus, be sung. They did a great job, didn't they? You know, as I was talking about the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, it was when I was seven years of age that I came to confess my sins and 
They came to say, yes, I'm in need of a Savior. When could you say that about your life? You remember? Because the most important decision you'll ever make is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. I hope that's true for you. I hope you walk out today confident that you're in Christ. One of the hardest things for me to watch and to hear and listen to is people who sneer at Christ. That's hard to hear. So I was telling somebody before the service, it's not the birth of Christ that people are offended by. It's the reason. It's the death of Christ. See, because you have to say to the world, God has said you're a sinner <laughs> in need of a Savior. And I can't remember ever walking up to somebody and saying, hey, you're a sinner. And that going well. That's hard. It's hard because it's hard to hear. But the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I hope that for you young people today, that you're able to walk out and know without a doubt you belong to him because one day you will sing and you will stand before him and you will either be with him forever or away from him forever. Let's pray. Lord, I could talk about you all day. Because kind of like Mary, it seemed like her heart was full. She understood theology really well. She understood your promises that you had made to Abraham and his descendants. And she understood the whole picture. Lord, I just pray that we would think about the big picture. And that our vision wouldn't be too small. We wouldn't focus in on just what's going on today, but that we would recall the events of yesterday and years before and your faithfulness, and that we would look forward to that day, truly look forward to that day when you come for us. I was just thinking a minute ago that if you were to come now, would this room be empty? Maybe there would be some left behind. So I just pray that you would help us to consider these things this Christmas season. As we come into contact with family and friends, that we would share what you have done for us. Please, Lord, please help us to walk with you daily, in step with you, fellowshipping with you, by your Spirit and the power of your Spirit in our lives. We give you all the glory and all the praise this morning. Because truly you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all this we pray in your wonderful name. Amen. Visitors, we are thrilled that you were here today. Glad you got to be a part of our service. Merry Christmas to all of you. All right.